Amen. We're going to sing more at the tail end of our service, a chance to respond a little bit and to enjoy that time together. Um, we're going to continue in our study of Acts today. We've been, we're going to start this series in the book of Acts. And the truth is, is that uh, there is so much packed into this portion of Scripture, it would be impossible, impossible. We'd be in Acts for like 15 years so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a chapter a, a, a week on Sundays, but what I don't want you to do is only take the portion that we do on Sundays as your understanding of Acts. I want you to study at home. I want you to read in depth. Uh, one of the best ways to do that, we're actually studying Acts in our community groups as well. That'll help you to have a deeper dive to really kind of get some of the portions that it would be impossible for us to do all in one morning. Uh, plus, you don't want to hear me you know, preach that long. Let's be honest. Uh, and so I, I want to do, I do want to encourage you. If you're not in a community group, we'd love to help you get connected. It's not a plug. It's just what we do. Uh, we want you to be in community in a lifestyle of living uh, a faith together. So um, I need to give my community group a shout out. One of the benefits of having community group is you talk about the scriptures, right, as we're diving together. Um, they're the reason that I'm preaching what I'm preaching today. So I don't want to take credit for all of it because as we were discussing Acts chapter two last week, some stuff came out as we were wrestling through together that was really, really beneficial. And I, I made a connection that I hadn't made before. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, one of the great benefits of having friends uh, wrestle through the scriptures together. Uh, as I've grown in my faith, have you ever read the Bible I've read the Bible, uh, and so as you read the scriptures, you read something in here. There's, this, there's these stories and this history. There's these circumstances that are really amazing, supernatural, in fact, some miraculous. And there's kind of this rhythm of life, and there's this interaction with God that people have. And I've, I've looked around in the world at times, and I wonder, why doesn't my life look like that? Why doesn't my experience as a Christian reflect the things that I'm reading? The powerful, supernatural things. Have you ever had that question? Have you ever asked that question? Well, I go to church, I wonder why this doesn't happen. I don't seem to have that in my life. I don't see that happening in the world. I don't hear these stories. And, and so the question is always that I ask, like, what am I missing? Is there something that I'm doing? Is it because we've lost faith? Is there, I, I ask this series of things because I want so badly for our church and our Christian experience to reflect the scriptures. Don't you? Wouldn't you like to, well, I wonder what they would write about us as a church. I don't know if they write anything about us as a church. I hope they would, I don't know. Because the things that they put down in the scriptures, right, in the book of Acts, you go all the way to the Old Testament, but the book of Acts, you know, <clears throat> It's been called the Acts of the Apostles, but as you've heard last week, if you're there, it's not the Acts of the Apostles, it's really the Acts of the Spirit. And what we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 2 is the coming of the Spirit of God, and then what happened after that. And it's fascinating, and I hope that we'll be able to pull some things from this together. We're going to look at Peter, the portion of Peter in Acts chapter 2. And what we're going to do first is we're going to look at Peter before Pentecost, Right, the Peter that was present with Jesus, because it's fascinating about who he was. Peter was a bold guy, right? He, we know him to be kind of uh, 
foot loose and he's ready. He's charging forward like Peter has courage. But the, the thing about Peter's boldness beforehand, it was that it was all Peter. And Peter's boldness that God put inside him was missing something. And then what we find about Peter after Pentecost is something pretty incredible. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to identify with some of these things. Acts, again, is uh, the second, it's the, um, the encore to the book of Luke. Luke. Luke wrote about the gospel, what work Jesus began to do, and Acts is what Jesus continued to do, and also about the work of the Holy Spirit through his people. And a couple things, when you hear the word church, right, ecclesia, you guys know that this is not about a building or a particular place. The church is us, the gathering of the believers. We are the church. So we could all leave here and we could go to a field out in the middle of nowhere and we could still have church. We could still be the church, right? Let's take a quick recap of Peter's journey a little bit, okay? I don't expect you to turn to all of these. Uh, the projector's down, let a little, that's okay. But let's start with Peter's calling when he met Jesus. Remember, Jesus came and he was like, hey, why don't you come in the boat? He pushes out from the shore a little bit. And, G and Peter realizes that he is in the presence of not a normal person. And Peter says, you know, Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And here's what he says. He says, look, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. He says, you're gonna go from being a fisherman of fish to being a fisherman, excuse me, of people, right? He gives them his purpose. Now, Peter had no idea what he's talking about, right? So, okay, he's been given this, pur this purpose. He's interacted with Jesus here. And then in, that was John chapter five, Matthew chapter 16, right? They're asking, hey, Jesus says, hey, who do, who do people say that I am? And they're like, oh, you're a good guy. You're a prophet. You're a good teacher. And he says, well, what about you? And Peter says, you are the Christ. He confesses him, as the Christ, the Son of God. And it was great because his name was Simon and he was given a new name. He says, you will be called Cephas or Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Now it's important that you understand where this is come, why this is important because in Acts 2 we're gonna see what happens, okay? So he gets his calling, he follows Jesus, he has his purpose, he gets this new name and he says, hey, I'm gonna build on this rock, which is what his name means, the church. John chapter 13 Jesus was telling his disciples, hey, I'm gonna go ahead of you. This is what's gonna happen and be dead and buried. And Peter's like, well, where are you going? <laughs> He's like, I wanna come. And Jesus was like, well, you can't come. Where I'm going, you can't come, not right now. And this is, this is great, Peter's boldness. He's like, I will die for you, Jesus. You remember this? I will die for you. What do you mean I can't come? I'll do anything for you, I'll give my life. He says, will you really give your life? And then it says, this is what he says. <laughs> He says, where I'm going, you can't follow, but later you will. Peter says, I'll lay down my life for you. He says, will you really? And then he prophesies, he tells him that he's gonna deny him. Bold Peter, right? The boldness, that courage is in him, but it is all being expressed in Peter's ability, right? In, in what he thinks it should be expressed in. John 18, these are where he denies Jesus, right? He comes and Jesus is arrested and he comes and he's at the campfire and this young lady's like, hey, aren't you with Jesus? Like, no, 
right? And he gets asked again, no. And then the third time, no, he calls down curses, no. And he, he, he leaves in bitterness, right? And then John 21, this is, all, this is all for a reason. Just track with me, okay? John 21, Jesus has been resurrected. And as we found in the book of Acts, it says that he showed himself to his disciples after his resurrection to many people for 40 days. And after his resurrection, Peter and his friends were out fishing and they didn't find anything. And they hear this person from the shore. You remember the story, right? John 21, hey, cast your net on the other side. And they're like, who is this? And they go and they catch all this fish. Peter puts on his clothes and jumps in the water. Why he was fishing with no clothes, I don't know. This is what it says. And he has this conversation with Jesus, right? He's been given his purpose and his calling. He's been given a new name. On this rock, I'll build my church. He showed boldness in a couple of different ways that didn't turn out so great. He denies Jesus, and now he's having this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, right? Agape, agape. Do you love me? Phileo, yes. You can go look those up. Those are Greek, that's good. It's not that sermon, so I'm just giving it to you. Yes, he says, feed my sheep. And then Jesus tells him this. He says, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And then he says, follow me. And he was telling him about how he was going to die. He was, he was reminding him of his purpose. He was reminding him of who he was made to be. Now we have a little background in Peter Let's jump into Acts chapter two. You wanna turn there if you're not already there? We finished chapter one. They were said, hey, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for what? What are they waiting for? The Holy Spirit for the purpose of being his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the other ends of the earth, right? It goes along with Matthew 28, right? Where he says, the Great Commission, this goes along with the Great Commission. He says, I want you to wait for the empowering of my spirit so you can actually go and do what I want you to do in all the world, starting in Jerusalem. And that's what they do. Acts chapter one, we went through that. They cast lots for Matthias. You know, they pick Matthias. They basically rolled the dice to decide who was gonna replace Judas. You never hear about Matthias again. Okay, that's the paraphrase of that next section, but we're in chapter two now. And so here's what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, and what you need to know about Pentecost is there's a list in Leviticus 23 of all the feasts. And all those feasts were basically telling the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and then the church. So Leviticus 23, if you want to go and read about the feasts, you should do that. And the feast of Pentecost came, and they were all together in one place. Now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you we're gonna go through this first part a little quickly. I know a lot of you want me to stop here and talk about the Holy Spirit for the whole time. I'm not gonna do that right now. We can talk about it another time because I wanna to get to Peter, okay? But they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. And all of them filled with the Holy Spirit they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, here's what you need to understand about the Spirit. God sent his Spirit and enabled them 
to speak in other languages to the people who were gathered. There were people, Jewish people from all over the world that had come to celebrate Pentecost. And these group of disciples, they did not speak all the languages of all the regions of all the people that showed up. And what God did is he enabled them to speak the languages of those who were present to declare the glory and power of God and the goodness of his gospel. That's what they did in this moment. That's what this is. They were intelligible languages that they had not been able to speak before. It would be if we were all sitting in a room, I have never spoken Chinese a day in my life. But if there were maybe a room full of folks who were Chinese that spoke Chinese, God enabled me through his spirit to speak about the glory of God to those people. That, that would be the same picture of what happened at this time. And it says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. You get the picture now. And it says that they heard them speaking in their own language and they were, they were amazed and it says they were in bewilderment even. They were kind of like, what is happening? Could you imagine? Right, you see all these folks from Galilee and Jerusalem or whatever and they're sitting there speaking your language. You're like, hold on a second. They don't look like me. I know they're not from where I am. How is it that I'm hearing about this good God in my language from these people? And it says there were a bunch of people from Parthians, Medes, uh, Elamites. You can read the whole list, right? Mesopotamia, Egypt, Rome. In verse 13, it says this, or 12 rather. It says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And then verse 13, which is the crux of what we're talking about here, it says, some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Now, I would love to believe that I would not be in that group, but I wonder what would happen if the Spirit of God moved in such a way. See, the problem is the Spirit of God is not um, controllable, and we love to control the things that we do. We love to control our life, don't we? We love to make it understandable. We love to make it um, known so that we can feel as though we are in control. Control, by the way, is a fool's errand. You are not in control. You're not. You're not in control of your kids. You're not in control of your marriage. You're not in control of your... You actually don't have control, which makes this so much more important. You may have an illusion of control that you've created to make yourself feel good, and I say you by me, I do this too. But the reality is, the disciples couldn't manufacture this. They didn't study uh, Rosetta Stone for a few months. This was a work of God's spirit in order to accomplish the will of God. Nobody could manufacture what was going on. And it also wasn't hocus pocus either. This was very clear what was happening. Somehow, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Here's where we start. You ready? Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. This is the Peter who walked on water briefly. This is the Peter who had a calling and purpose from God. It's the Peter who denied Jesus in his time of need. It's the Peter who ran away in the garden. It's the Peter who went back to fishing because he failed his savior. It's the same Peter who was reinstated on the beach. 
It was not a proud, arrogant Peter anymore. It was a Peter who was ready and submitted to whatever God wanted to do, and he stood up and he addressed the crowd. He had received the Holy Spirit, and now he was ready to move forward. And he begins this dialogue with people who are questioning what is happening. See, a lot of times what happens is when something moves and people go, oh, I just felt the Spirit of God. We have two responses that we can do. Either we can take the praise for ourselves. This is what Nebuchadnezzar did. That's why he ended up walking on all fours and living a terrible season of life. Right? There were kings and people who, who accepted the praise of people and it was really the movement of God and they died and had really terrible things happen. They accepted what only God can accept. The praise right, and glory for what he is doing. And Peter stands up and he says, look, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you and listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And if you think that nine in the morning is a good time to drink, you and I need to talk. He says it's not reasonable to think that they would be drunk. Let me tell you what's really going on. And then he gets up and it's wonderful because Peter was basically a, a rabbinical school dropout. This is why he went to the family business of fishing. And he stands up and he quotes from the prophet Joel. It's not that he wouldn't have known these things, but the spirit, I think, enabled him to bring all of these things back. And he begins to tell the story of what's going on. He says, look, you think they're drunk. Let me tell you what's happening. It was spoken about long ago in the prophet Joel. And it says, in last days, God says, Joel chapter 2, 28 to 32, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming and the great and glorious day of the Lord. Listen. And then he says in the last quote of this verse, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, the gospel of Jesus has been running all throughout Scripture. The idea of salvation in Jesus didn't start in the New Testament. Joel talked about it here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on and he says in verse 22, he continues and he says, Look, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus, the son of Nazareth, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles. And he goes and he tells them how Jesus came for God's set purpose. There was a reason he came. He basically retells the story of what just happened. This isn't new, like this is really fresh information about who Jesus was and what happened to him. Verse 23 says, the man was handed over to you by God's purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he goes and he quotes King David. This next section, he says, look, David says, I saw the Lord. And, he, and he's trying to help them understand that what is happening is actually fulfillment of the things that they have been talking about from long ago. See, the, what you need to know, the Hebrew kids from the time they were born, their whole life, they were hearing about the coming Christ, the Messiah to come, the savior of the world, the one who is gonna set up the kingdom of God here on earth. And they were all expecting political or military leaders to be that thing. They were not expecting Jesus 
even though everything they had read from the time they were little pointed to Jesus as the Christ. So Peter stands up boldly and says, hey, look, let me tell you this again from the things that you have heard already. And then he goes in verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. And he says, but this Jesus, verse 32, it says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. They were empowered by the spirit to do what? To be, thank you, just making sure we're all here. To be witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They're in Jerusalem and he says, look, we are being witnesses. We've seen this Jesus walk, talk, raise the dead, heal the sick. We watched him be crucified for not doing anything wrong. And then we watched him be raised from the dead and he showed himself. And let me tell you the meal that we had with him. I can, I, I, Thomas put his hands in his, in his scars. Like there's reasons that we're telling, we're being witnesses of this thing. Right, when you talk about, when, when people say, hey, we need to, we're gonna go witnessing. Has anybody asked you to go witness? Or share your testimony? It's never about you. What you don't hear Peter doing is talking about himself, do you? He's witnessing about the goodness of God, the power of God. He's not, I mean, our stories are important, right? Because it's what God has done in our lives, but the real testimony, what they're witnessing to was Jesus. Who cares about Johnny? <laughs> Serious, who cares? Hey, John, thank you. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. This is why the church matters right here. And he goes on, he says, look. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, who you have been waiting for, who you have been praying about, who you have been looking for, is this Jesus. And he goes on, he says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Man, I'll tell you what, I think every pastor on the earth after every message would hope, oh my gosh, they're cut to the heart, what do we do? Right? I don't even know when the last time you were cut to the heart was. But what's interesting is they were cut to the heart and they knew they had to do something differently and they asked what it is that we're supposed to do and Peter says, repent, turn around, stop doing the things that you're doing that are opposed to God and start doing the things that are for him, that promote him, that witness to him and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Spirit this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then it says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the church started on that rock. See, Jesus told Peter when he was reinstated or earlier in his life, he said, hey, your name will no longer be Simon, it'll be Cephas which means rock, and on this church, right, on this rock, the church will be established. And this is how it started. If you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. The church will grow, not from great marketing and promotion and program, 
but by spirit-empowered believers glorifying God as they walk in sincere obedience. The church will grow not by marketing or promotion or program, but by spirit-filled and spirit-empowered believers glorifying God as they walk in obedience. And this is what Peter did. And we're gonna read story after story after story about how the church continued to grow. Now, this is not the model that every church has strived for. Thinking that 3,000 are coming every day probably isn't gonna happen. But this is what sparked the church. And it began to grow. Because spirit-empowered believers sought to glorify God and witness about who Jesus was and what he did and what was to come. So how do we do it? How do we do it? The things that were built in Peter to begin with were there because that's how God made him. But when the spirit came, his boldness stopped being about him and it started being about God. The things that are in you are there for a reason. Your courage, your boldness, it's there. Your intellect is there. But if we use the things that God built in us for our own praise and for our own promotion, it will have little effect on the world and the kingdom of God won't grow. But you, as a spirit-empowered believer, God takes those things that he built in you and he uses them to glorify himself, build the church, and change the world. Three things I want you to think about as we move forward. Wait, we don't have to wait for the Spirit. As believers, we've received the Spirit. So it's not that we're waiting for that. But what we should do is be praying and waiting every day. God, what is it that you're wanting me to do today? Right? How long's your prayer and wait time? Do you get rushed? Are you distracted? We need to wait for his leading and to make sure that we're walking in his power instead of inviting God into what we're doing. This is not how it works to go do something and pray, okay, God, meet me there because I'm working this way. No, you pray and wait, seeking where he wants you to go and then go do it. So wait. Second thing is to watch. Peter saw the opportunity. He asked, there was one question that was asked and he knew it was his time to stand up, to address the crowd and say, no, let me tell you what the reality of the circumstance is. And he glorified God by telling the truth about Jesus. So wait and watch to make sure you have spiritual eyes And then the last thing is to walk it out. Talking the talk will never produce a vibrant kingdom of God life. There's a lot of people who talk the talk. A lot of people who say the right things. A lot of people who read and know the scriptures. But if you don't walk it out, if you don't walk the walk in sincere obedience with one another, it's just gonna be us like Peter before the Pentecost. And it won't grow and it won't last Somebody asked me recently, um, what sets our church apart from others? I had to think about it. And so my answer ended up being what I hope sets our church apart and what will continue to set our church apart is that our gathering of believers, this gathering of believers is marked by the power of God's spirit working through surrendered men and women surrendered to God's will, surrendered to waiting to make sure his spirit is leading us, submitted to what he wants, not what we want it to be. And that the mark of our church is that when people come here to this place or meet with us as individuals, they will encounter the living God 
and they'll be changed by that encounter. They will, they will be moving out in his spirit to change the world, that they will be bold, that we will be a people who are found like, man, what is wrong with those people? They seem confident and bold and they're not brash and they're not hateful. They're not arguing to win. They're, they're just, they keep telling me about Jesus and what he did and how he changed his life. That's what I want our church to be about. That's what I think God wants his church to be about because that's how it started. I hope we'd be known as Peter was, set on fire by God's spirit to glorify him in spite of his failed attempts on his own before. And then Acts chapter two finishes with this really wonderful description of what they did together. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up and we're gonna finish the sermon portion of our time together with communion because I think it plays so well. Because what happened to the church as they moved in the power of God's spirit, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And it says that they shared their things and they cared for one another. Now this is a description of what happened. And I think to the extent that we can live this way together, we should. And so today we're gonna, we're in the fellowship, we're hearing the teaching, not of an apostle, but of his word. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna break bread together. We're gonna remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by observing communion as believers. And if you have your elements, we know in Corinthians, it says that the Lord Jesus, on the last night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, whenever you do this, Remember what I have done for you, what was accomplished in the cross and through the resurrection for you. And he says, look, make sure you don't take it with the wrong heart, with the wrong motives. If you're not a believer, it's okay, don't do this. This is for the believer that we remember the body and blood of Jesus that was broken and shed for you and me. So once you've taken a moment to monitor your heart and to remember what he's done, please take the bread and take the juice. And then Ryan will lead us to, to stand and to continue to worship in music. Fathers, we take this, blah, uh, this cup and we take this bread. We do this in remembrance of you, Lord Jesus, who shed it all, who was broken on our behalf. Lord, continue to find us thankful, wanting to glorify you in all things.